Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. I know this is normally where you get your conference podcast show, but this week we only did a national show because of the holiday. Probably going to be the same next week. We're posting Chris Landry's college football show on this channel and all of our conference channels, so you can hear my thoughts on the upcoming college playoff games. You can hear the show every Tuesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Just search for the Landry's College Football Show. We'll be back after the holidays with the ACC, SEC, Pac-12, Big Ten, and Big 12 football shows. Welcome in, everybody, to the post-Christmas edition of the College Football Show. I am Chris Landry, hoping that you had a blessed and wonderful Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate, um, as we are the day after Christmas. We decided to, I decided to change the date of this podcast this week, as the early part of the week is a little bit congested with film. Um, and so I decided to spend Christmas Eve and Christmas Day getting through more film and getting into what I thought the calendar was most important and what we wanted to talk about today. This podcast is going to be focused on, we'll mention a little bit, and I'm going to go briefly over the games um, leading into Saturday, but be focused more on what's going to happen on Saturday. That is the two semifinal playoff games in this Unique schedule. It just jumps on us, doesn't it? It's You have conference championship weeks, and all right, to be a couple of weeks, and then everybody gets focused on Christmas, and then boom, there you go. And it's already Thursday, and <clears throat> the game's in two days. And, of course, um, the staffs have been focusing on it. So we're going to get into uh, a detail into those two games, which should be exciting, uh, obviously, and the most important in today's World of College Football. We've got a couple of questions um, we're going to answer as well. So let's get right to it. It is a <clears throat> another edition of the College Football Show bought, brought to you by the great folks at 401k Generation. If you got a business, wish to set up a 401k for your employees, or if you left a job and had a 401k and wish to roll it over to an IRA, anything that you might need in the final financial services area, 
they can help. In fact, if you have any questions on money management, investment inquiries, or just want to speak with someone to see if you're on track to your financial goals, Eddie Rojas and his team at 401k Generation is who you need to reach out to today. Call Eddie and his team at 1-866-998-5879 or text them at the same number, 1-866-998-5879. Huge football fan, so uh, you're going to have that in common. But more importantly, what he can do and his staff can do to help you with your financial questions and goals. Maybe you got somebody that you utilize. Getting a second opinion is always important in any line of industry. They're licensed in all 50 states, so regardless of where you are listening to this podcast, they can help you. Again, 1-866-998-5879. And remember that we are in conversations as we were in the latter part uh, of this year and as we turn into the calendar of 2020 or 2020, um, we're in conversations with people who are interested in promoting their business with us. We're looking for good fits, the right fit. So if you feel you and your business are the right fit and want to get the word out about your business, contact us today. Go to LandryFootball.com, hit Contact Chris on the top bar, and send me an email. And uh, TJ will be in touch with you to discuss it further. So um, be sure to check out all of the podcasts that we have as part of the Big Three Roll-Up Network, including our NFL show, which we are going to have as well in the latter part of the week. Get you ready for Week 17 of the NFL as it is basically playoff time. And we'll give you the playoffs to get into the playoffs and the breakdowns of all of that. So as I mentioned... As we head into the weekend, we're focusing on the LSU-Oklahoma and the Clemson-Ohio State matchups. A little bit of a review. Hope you had a chance. Maybe some of you didn't. On Christmas Eve to watch the Hawaii Bowl. What a really good game that was. Well played. We've had some intriguing matchups, mostly... Last Saturday, we just had, again, a couple of games. On Thursday, we've got the Independence Bowl with Louisiana Tech and Miami. Miami certainly in need of a win here against a G5 school that, you know, at least in terms of going into the offseason is something not so much if the win over Louisiana Tech would give them a boost, but certainly losing would be a bad taste in their mouth. Same thing with Pitt hosting Eastern Michigan. Both Louisiana Tech and Eastern Michigan are very capable of beating Miami and Pitt. Those teams don't play well. On Friday, intriguing matchup with North Carolina and Temple in the Military Bowl. Michigan State Wake Forest in the Pinstripe Bowl. Oklahoma State, Texas A&M in the Texas Bowl. Iowa-USC, maybe the highlight of the game on Friday in the Holiday Bowl. And then that late night, the Cheez-It Bowl, Air Force and Washington State. So a big day. Certainly the what I call the second biggest day of the bowl season beyond last Saturday in terms of the number of games. Got five of them. Then, obviously, this Saturday, we've got Iowa State-Notre Dame. 
and Memphis, Penn State in the Cotton Bowl. Iowa State, Notre Dame in the Camping World Bowl. Those games are starting at at 11 a.m. Central, 12 noon Eastern. And it gives a four-hour window to get that game in before the start of LSU-Oklahoma. And then there's, again, a four-hour window before the start of the Fiesta Bowl, Clemson, Ohio State. So a great Saturday of football awaits us. There is some intrigue in the LSU-Oklahoma game in that we've got the suspension with Oklahoma, particularly Perkins will hurt him um, on defense. But the three suspensions, and then obviously the status with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Now, <clears throat> LSU has you know, publicly talked about they're trying to um, – he's getting treatment, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He's made the trip. He's in Atlanta. He's getting treatment at the training room at the hotel. And they're working him gingerly to kind of see where he is. Um, I, I do think that <clears throat> there is a chance he could play. My sense is that he won't. And, and here's why I would say that. They will not say this publicly, and this may not be a smart way to look at it if you're LSU, but they don't feel all that threatened by Oklahoma. I mean, publicly they're saying all the right things. I mean, and I think there's a healthy respect. But I think they feel like that the best chance to have optimal success of winning two games is to have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire sit or rest. And unless he is really good, unless he's really good to go, I don't see them playing him. And I see them instead holding him out for a couple of weeks. But they're still trying to work him from a cardiovascular standpoint because, you know, if you can, if you sit there and you just rehab and you're not moving enough, well, then even if you sit out for another two more weeks, you know, and you play in the championship game, you're not going to be the same guy. I mean, and it won't be maybe because of the hamstring as much as you're not in the same cardiovascular shape. That's the one thing about injuries that people overlook. Well, is he, he's going to be out three weeks. Oh, man, that fourth week, we're good. No, it's really not because you're not preparing like you normally prepare in the practice environment because of the injury. Therefore, when you come back, you're coming back off of being healed. But not being healed and the normal preparation that it takes to prepare for a game. So I, I don't know. Uh, my sense is, is that he won't play unless he is really good to go, that they feel like they may need a little bit more time and then maybe get him enough work to prepare for the, the national championship game. Now, they feel like my sense is from the coaches, they feel like they can beat Oklahoma without Clyde edwards Lair. I don't think they feel comfortable beating Ohio State or Clemson without him. I think they feel they need him. And who knows? They may not play well enough to beat Oklahoma. Who knows? We'll see. But they feel like at least that they've got significant advantage, advantages against Oklahoma that <clears throat> does not exist 
in a game matchup against Ohio State or Clemson. So it is a different look in that who could have thought a couple of years ago we're talking about LSU's offense and Oklahoma's defense because we were looking at week versus week. Now we're looking at a strength of LSU's and barring just a lack of timing, lack of play the past couple of weeks um, in preparation for this game, um, this LSU offense has not been stopped all year long. It's not been stopped against really good defenses that they've played. They've played some really good defenses, an Auburn defense, a Florida defense, a Georgia defense. LSU's had different degrees of success, but quite a bit of success nonetheless offensively against really good defenses, something Oklahoma does not have. Oklahoma's defense is improved from what they have been. That's more of an indicator of what they have been and not where they are. They are better in terms of their alignment, in terms of their technique, in terms of their ability to leverage the run and tackle a little better, they do that better. Now, there are stretches in games that I've seen every and breaking down every one of Oklahoma's games. There are stretches in games in which they just they don't tackle very well. They don't stay on top of routes very well. <clears throat> they get beaten by pretty average stems very well. Um... But for the most part, they've played better. I think a part of that is the fact that Oklahoma's offense is much more controlled at the line of scrimmage with the running game, with the quarterback run in particular. That's been the biggest difference. So their defense is not on the field as much, or they're on the field, they're off the field for longer stretches so that they can be fresher when they're on the field. So the game plan, I think for Oklahoma, is quite a bit different. And if you've not studied Oklahoma this year, and you're looking maybe at two, three games a year that you see on TV them play, and maybe comparatively speaking to last year, you're thinking you're going to see one thing. And what you're seeing is an offense that's not as efficient throwing the football as they were the last couple of years. Oh, I know. The yards say difference. And again, people who don't study football, don't study tape, will regurgitate statistics. But you look at the average yards per route completions, how their their route concepts look a little different, Not as deep, not as effective, more run after catch. Look, it doesn't matter how you do it as long as you do it. It looks different. They're scoring a lot of points. Now, again, they're playing lesser competition uh, in the Big 12 than maybe some other opponents. Now, I, I recognize Clemson hasn't played a tough level competition, but when you study those teams, you see there's a distinct difference in terms of the multitude of receiver talents and the ability to work the entire field in the passing game. Oklahoma is more about the quarterback, more about his leadership, more about his run skills, and the pass game success comes off of that. Now, the one thing 
that's really hurt Oklahoma is Jalen Hurts' ability to protect football. He's not, you know, in the red zone, in the large part of the field. Uh, He's just not protecting the football as well as you need to to win basically how they need to win right now. They're not going up and down the field, which is a good thing, and they're going to have to play ball control. So Oklahoma, to have a chance to win this game, they're going to have to control the football. They're going to have to keep LSU's offense off the field as much as possible. And they're going to have to finish those drives with seven. And they're going to have to wear out an LSU defense that people will look and say, LSU's defense has not been really good this year. They have not. There are a couple of reasons for that. One, the style of play, the up-tempo, LSU's time of possession is not real huge. They're scoring and they're scoring quickly. They're putting their defense back on the field more, so their defense is on the field for more snaps. And again, the same thing, the defense is on the field quicker between series and combined with the fact that LSU's injuries on defense has hurt them more. This is not a deep, has not been a deep LSU defense. So when you even have guys that are playing, like a Grant Delpert, who's an All-American going into the season – not been really healthy all year long. So you, you're playing guys, and the assumption is that they're playing and they're healthy. They're not playing well, and a lot of it has to do with some health. So the depth was affected early by a couple of key losses on the defensive line. And the depth factor. Well, as the season has progressed towards the end, they're starting to get a little bit healthier. And now they've had a lot of time. So I I think that you're going to see a better LSU defense. And I think it's going to be a challenge for Oklahoma. I do think Oklahoma's going to have some success offensively. Don't get me wrong there. But can they have enough success to outscore LSU? I, I don't know. That's going to be the real challenge there. Um <clears throat> The other thing that I think it needs to be pointed out, and I think accurately so, LSU struggled in the past and in the recent past defending running quarterbacks. And so you've got, in Jalen Hurts, a guy that's very effective running. Now he's different build, different athleticism style than, say, John Rice Plumley of Ole Miss, but Ole Miss, he just torched LSU for 300 yards running. I mean, that is going to be – if LSU hadn't figured that out and if not prepared, then you know what? They could be in for a huge upset because Jalen Hurts running the football is going to be pivotal, and if LSU doesn't figure out how to contain him, they're in trouble. That needs to be the focus. There's not any backs that are going to kill you at Oklahoma – And the passing game shouldn't kill you. LSU can match up at corner with the receivers that Oklahoma has. Um, I think that is one of the things that we look at and say, how does Oklahoma have success in the passing game? Well, they're going to have to get people to overplay the run, and I think they're going to have to work the middle of the field. Because I think Jalen Hurts throwing outside 
the numbers, going to be challenged and challenged effectively by the LSU corner. So I do expect Oklahoma to attack the middle of the field, a lot of crossers, uh, try to get some man beaters. That's what crossing routes can do effectively. And I, I think if they can run the football and force LSU into cover one looks, um, get a safety in the box, throw behind it. That's how they're going to have to have success passing the game. I think you're going to see some option looks. I think you're going to see um, some RPOs that are so effective part. And But I think the run, the improvisational run, and the design run are going to be pivotal for Oklahoma's success. On defense, flipping it to the other side of the ball, how does Oklahoma defense match up against LSU? The answer is not very well. Um, they don't match up in the secondary against LSU's receivers. Uh, Joe Burrow this year has absolutely torched defenses that look like Oklahoma all year long. Now maybe, and this is going to have to be the saving grace for Oklahoma, maybe just LSU's just not sharp. We see it happen some, particularly early in games, where two, three weeks off, you're just not sharp. You know, you just, you're a little bit off. You're just not quite there. It's one of the things about defenses. You can get off the field by playing good defense, or you can get off the field by the offense not being that sharp. The offense not getting it done. The offense throwing a bad pass. The offense not getting to the top of their route quick enough. Not seeing the ball into their hands. The not holding on to the ball. There, there, some protection. I mean, there, there are a number of things now. Can Oklahoma rush the passer? Well, they're not real effective doing it. Burrow usually beats the blitz. I don't think Oklahoma's going to get home with base pressure. Burrow's eating up blitz pressure, as I mentioned. And Oklahoma's best pass rusher is suspended for the game. So it's going to be a Herculean effort, and I'll just put it like this. I don't think Oklahoma can beat LSU. I think LSU is going to have to beat themselves on this side of the ball. Um, I see a coverage mismatch. I see a protection mismatch. Um, I, I see a mismatch in all areas for LSU here. So what does this mean for the game? Well, I think that what you've got to do is play situational football if you're Oklahoma. You've got to find a way to create some turnover, something you've not been all that successful doing. But for stretches, you know, you've got to be able to do that. You've got to steal a possession or two, and you've got to control the football. Oklahoma was, again, statistically number one in the nation for total offense for most of the year. They averaged 554 yards and 43 points a game. Okay, those are stats. Those are relative to your play. Impressive stats. 
this year's Oklahoma's defense um, doesn't come up with enough takeaways. It's pretty successful this year. LSU's offense is the best in total offense. It's third in the nation in scoring behind Ohio State and Oklahoma. Second passing behind Washington State, which is a ridiculous passing offense. It throws it 70 times a game. And has the type of efficiency and physicality that you aspire to have. Last year's Oklahoma's defense was dead last in passing yards allowed. Dead last in first downs allowed. 114th in the nation in total defense. 111th in pass efficiency defense. And couldn't cut getting off the field in third downs. Okay, they, they did nothing. It was awful. So when you hear about the improvement of Oklahoma's offense, let's put that in perspective. It's improved. It's not good. Um, again, the best key for Oklahoma is not going to be to stop this passing attack, but to come up with some key plays to get off the field. You know, uh, Texas Tech, for example, manages 122 yards. Sam Ellinger, Texas, came up with just 210 yards, no scores. Brock Purdy, Carter Stanley um, were not all that effective. None of those guys are Joe Burrow, though. So you've got to find a way to, A, get LSU out of rhythm and create some mistakes to force LSU into mistakes. Um, this is experienced uh, play of Jalen Hurts could have a an effect here. Yes, he's played against LSU before. Yes, he's had success against LSU. Different LSU team. In many ways, maybe not as talented to the defense he's facing. But the challenge is, in the past, when he was at Alabama, LSU's offense couldn't score against Alabama's defense. So it's a completely different dynamic, and to me that doesn't really factor a whole lot. Look, there's the pressures on LSU. LSU's supposed to win, supposed to win going away, supposed to be a double-digit victory. Points 13, the point spread's 13.5. In the end, advancing is all that matters. But there's a lot of pressure. This game's in the fourth quarter. LSU struggling to find a rhythm, what have you. The pressure's on them. The chance to play in the national championship game at home is huge. Oklahoma's playing with house money. You know, there's only supposed to be three teams in this playoff because there's only three teams that are really good enough. Oklahoma's not one of them. No one else is one of them. So Oklahoma doesn't belong. Well, they're there. And so they're going to play loose. They're going to play free. They're going to play like they're disrespected by the world, by the opponent. So I think you're going to see a freer Oklahoma team. I don't see LSU getting tight because the quarterback's not going to get tight. Um, the, the one thing I would say is that in the past, great offenses 
more likely to have an off day than a great defense. Okay? Neither one of these teams have great defenses. Of the two, LSU's defense is better. They're more talented. They've got lockdown corners. They've got an All-American safety. Okay, they've got playmakers on this team more so than Oklahoma, more of them. So they're better on defense. And they're better on offense because the quarterback is better. The passing game is better. They've got more balance. Now, without Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, they're not as effective perhaps running the football. So the injuries are significant or the missing components are significant for Oklahoma, but it is, I think, the best player out of the group of suspension slash injuries is Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Clyde Edwards-Alaire is the best at picking up blitz pickup, and remember that LSU doesn't they run five-man protections. The tight ends are out on routes. They're running three wides most of the game. They're in single set back because Clyde will pick up the blitz, and he's the outlet guy, the check down guy in the passing game. So without him, you don't have that. It's not the design passes. It's when you get him isolated on a linebacker, that's a big-time play waiting to happen. And when you get a lead, it's the guy that can put it away. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a huge factor into LSU's offensive success. As I said, I don't think LSU can beat Ohio State or Clemson without a healthy Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and I'm not even sure that'll be good enough, but I don't think that happens without him personally. But maybe it's enough to beat Oklahoma. We'll see. I do think that LSU can throw the football with enough success against this Oklahoma defense. And with Oklahoma's defense focusing so much on defending the run with numbers, it's going to create more opportunity. So I think that you will see Oklahoma try to bring some pressure, some second-level pressure, but we'll drop guys and try – to bracket Jamar Chase, try to roll that way. And I think as they reduce their numbers in the box, LSU should be able to run the football with whomever's in the game. So we'll shall see how it plays out. Um, again, advantage LSU in the secondary, locking down on Oklahoma's receivers. Elite players. I mean, high first-round talent in Grant Delpit. And eventually in Derek Stinkley, who's a true freshman, is already a guy that looks like an NFL player. Jamar Chase is the best receiver in this game. Yes, even better than C.D. Lamb. And we've got Justin Jefferson, Terrence Marshall, so they're very, very loaded. And then the Oklahoma secondary. Um, they've not faced a quarterback like this. It's decent, but not all that good. So we'll see. Is Joe Burrow going to have a come-down game where he struggles? That's what it's going to take, I think. Um, Turnovers are always big. 
Oklahoma's turned the football over. Don't even think about this game being close if Oklahoma doesn't play a clean game. Got to play clean. In terms of Oklahoma has to play their A++++ game. LSU could probably play their B-minus game and still win it. But you get the A++ game with the C game, you got trouble. So the pressure is on LSU, but the margin of error, LSU's got to grade your margin of error. They just they don't have to play to their capabilities to win this game. And it may only fact, factor into the margin of victory. I think this game may be a little bit closer. I guess maybe that's the hope in me that we don't have a blowout game like we've had in these playoffs, <clears throat> which you know the semifinals have been duds. A lot of the games have been duds. Outside of the OU Georgia Rose Bowl, most of these semifinal games are duds, have been duds. I think we're going to see a great one. We're going to talk about it here in a second now, Ohio State-Clemson. I'm hoping that it's a good game, LSU-Oklahoma. My sense is that LSU wins and wins going away. So it leads us to Ohio State-Clemson. I think these are the two best teams in college football. LSU's accomplished the most against the best schedule. These two teams look the best on film. Um, Clemson's really good. I know it can rain on their schedule, and there's nothing inaccurate about that. Their schedule's not very good. But they are very good. Um, Didn't play or beat a team ranked in the final top 25. Um, Outside of the North Carolina game, it didn't even have any close calls. But they're, make no mistake, they're good enough to win the national championship. You know, will they beat Ohio State? I don't know. That's what we're going to talk about. Clemson might have faced eight bowl teams and beat every one of them, except for North Carolina, by double digits. Rolled past NC State and blew out South Carolina. But the reality is they haven't played a good schedule. There's a difference between playing two teams, Team A playing a week schedule, Team B playing a week schedule. Team A, you look at on film and you see that team's really, really good, and if they played tougher opponents, they still would beat them. Then there's some other teams that look like they're the byproduct of the people they've played. Oh, they've been good enough to win, but they don't look all that impressive. You know, it's kind of like how Miami looked a few years ago when they were unbeaten. And people were, oh, they're back, they're back, because they're unbeaten. They beat this team, they beat Notre Dame, yada, yada, yada. The tape said otherwise. It was fool's gold. They were good. Give them credit for winning, but they weren't elite. They weren't good enough to go to the playoffs, and 
they flounder down the stretch against good teams. The film showed that. Clemson's good enough, more than good enough to win the national championship. This team is in some ways better than last year's team. In some ways, they're not as good. But overall, they're they're good enough to win it. It's you know they're facing a great team in Ohio State that's good enough to win it as well. So winning it won't be anything to do, or losing this game won't be anything to do with who they've played, what their schedule's been like. They're good, okay. And I will tell you, they're one of the two best teams in college football, in my opinion. Certainly one of the three best. That's not even debatable. Ironically, Ohio State's never beaten Clemson. That doesn't mean anything, but it's a fun historical fact that they're 0-3. They lost that 2016 Fiesta Bowl. Um, they dropped that 40-35 to shootout to Taj Boyd and company in the, uh, the 2014 Orange Bowl. And then game I remember very vividly as well is those other two. It was a 78 Gator Bowl. Last game of Woody Hayes. It's been a while since Ohio State's played for the national title. It's the second college football appearance, playoff appearance, after winning the 2014 championship. And it's the first time it's not the number four seed. They've been really good all year long. They had the first bad half against Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game. A little bit of an issue with Penn State. There wasn't any real drama. They couldn't overcome. Ryan Day was outstanding. Loaded with talent. Justin Fields has been flawless. Lots of talk about Joe Burrow and LSU won the Heisman. Justin Fields had a Heisman year as well. Um, Joe Burrow just had a better year. But he was outstanding. 40 touchdowns, one interception, 10 rushing scores. Pretty impressive. He said other good times. J.K. Dobbins, offensive line has been really good. Chase Young has got a lot of attention and credit. But Justin Fields was Unbelievable. Stepping in first-time, full-time starter. I remember getting asked the questions back in August. How will he fare in this Ohio State offense? Well, that question's been answered pretty well. He had all the pressure in the world. Great team. The only thing that could derail it was the quarterback play. And it not only did not derail it, it accentuated to the highest level. No honeymoon period. Played a pretty tough schedule unflappable, tough, made big play after big play after big play with his feet, with his arms, and didn't make mistakes. Now, he did it with really good talent around him. No doubt about that. You don't get there with one player. J.K. Dobbins again, outstanding, 1,800-plus yards, 20 touchdowns. You know, with all due respect to Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins may have been the best back in the Big Ten this year. Unbelievable. Offensive line's been really good in the run game. Not as good grading out in the past game, but really good. 
in the run game. The receiving core, man, loads of talent. Versatile, can run the route tree, go up, get the ball, accelerating routes in and out of cuts, great run after catch ability. Really, really good. Defense, yeah, got Chase Young, but it's more than that. Second in pass defense, third in the nation in sacks, third in scoring defense, fourth and third down stops, seven against the run, and seven in takeaways. This against some good talent, some good offense. Now you can slide your protection his way, like Michigan did. Didn't come up with a sack against Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game, but he occupied a lot of attention that allowed other guys to have success. So the productivity, except for the first half against Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game, did not drop as a unit, as a team, as a front, but his numbers did. The linebacking core is outstanding. It's experienced, really rally around the balls very well, great with their run fits. Jeffrey Adu is an outstanding defensive back. So lots of answers for Ohio State. And then Chase Young, if you don't watch it, it can take over a game. He's going to have to generate pressure on Trevor Lawrence. They're going to have to bring a lot of pressure, and they're going to have to hold up in coverage. This Clemson team, and again, Level of competition is important, but they're number one in the country in total defense. The 219 defense had to replace the stars up front from the great defensive line of last year. Still pretty good. And not didn't grant out as well, but pretty good. The linebacking core graded out better. Isaiah Simmons is the best great player on a great team that people know about but don't talk about enough because of who they've played. He is a phenomenal football player. Seven sacks, 91 tackles, 14 tackles for losses. Great job in pass coverage. Boy's got great next-level ability. It's been great for them. The secondary didn't allow a 300-yard passing game. I know. No, I know. Not a lot of good passing games they face. But they're doing their job. They can cover. Deck and pressure. <clears throat> Ohio State is about to face a defense they've not seen this year. They've not seen a defense as athletic or as talented. Wisconsin's got a good front. Penn State's got some good pass rushers. Clemson's better. Ohio State's got to hold on to the football. Everybody does, I know. But it is an issue, has been an issue with the Buckeyes. It hadn't killed them, but it allowed Penn State a chance, maybe kept Michigan in the game a little bit longer than they needed to. Justin Fields doesn't throw interceptions, but the offense given up 13 fumbles on the year and eight in the last five games. That has to change. I'm telling you, if that doesn't change, Clemson moves on. The Clemson defense is going to be tough enough to deal with. If you turn the football over, it's over. 
Clemson's defense has forced 28 turnovers on the year with two or more in four of their last five games and six of their last eight. I know. Level of comp. Not as good offense, but they're doing their part. Clemson's offense hasn't given up a fumble in any of its last seven games, and Trevor Lawrence has just thrown one pick in the last six games. So, they're really good in that department. And if that continues, that could be the difference in this game. You know, the other thing that jumped out at me in breaking down all the tape of both of these teams, all four of these teams, really, as we're talking about both of the games, you know, lost in the blowout win over Michigan. You know, Clemson's secondary, excuse me, Ohio State's secondary got beat. And Michigan was able to move the football. And Shea Patterson's had some success. Wasn't enough. But enough to say, hmm, you wonder. Patterson um, made some plays. Ronnie Bell, Donovan Peoples-Jones. And Michigan dropped the football way too many times. They averaged 17 yards per catch. Clemson's receivers are not going to have those drops. So as good as this secondary has looked and as talented as they are, they will need to play better than they did against Michigan. Trevor Lawrence, while some criticized how poorly he played in the early part of the year, is playing a lot better now. And that those receivers, they, the 50-50 balls are really 70-30 balls their way. And so I think that they have a lot of ability, a lot of ability to make plays against this secondary, um, against any secondary. Ohio State's going to have to meet the challenge. So as we kind of look at it, kind of wrap it up and kind of tidy it up a little bit, you wonder a couple of things. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, J.K. Dobbins, Travis Etienne. Could a guy like Isaiah Simmons, who won the Butkus, be a difference? Cause some problems? Experience of Clemson? You know, they've won 28 games in a row. They're 71-2 and two since mid-November of 2014, 71-2 against teams other than Alabama. Ohio State's been great. Um, It's played and has not had the game and has not had the Purdue game. It didn't even have the, you know, the Iowa game of two years ago. It didn't have the North Carolina game that Clemson had this year. If I look at the two over the course of the year in grading them out, who did the best job relative to who they're playing against? It was against Ohio State. I mean, it was Ohio State against their level of competition. Better than Clemson's. I think they've been better. I I know that Clemson's going to be razor sharp. I know that they're going to play well. 
I think Trevor Lawrence will play well. I think the receivers will play well. I think Travis Atien will do a good job. I think this defense will be very well prepared. I think the experience factor. I think the chip on the shoulder factor. I think they got a lot of things going for them. I do think that Ohio State's played the tougher schedule. That doesn't mean that they're the better team. Ohio State plays their best game. They play a clean game. They don't turn it over. This will be a great game. I think it will be a great game. I think it will be four-quarter game. Folks, I don't know what to say about it in terms of a winner. I think it's that close. If you put a gun to my head, I'm taking Clemson. I just think that they are got a few more answers. They're a little bit more efficient. And again, it's not about who they've done it against. It's about how they do it and how it transfers. So I, I think it's going to be a great one. I hope we have two great ones, and I hope you enjoy it out there. We're going to end the show with a couple of questions. Kevin asks, Kevin has a long, long question that I'm not going to – all right, or thoughts. Kevin says – he's talking about – the playoff system and my position of the bowl game is in picking the four. Kevin wants to come up with different ideas about teams based upon their strength of schedule should be exempt from additional bowl games. Kevin, I think you're missing my point. Um, I don't want teams to skip a bowl game. I don't want a team because they've played quote unquote strength of schedule, strength of schedule is very misleading as well. True strength of schedule and statistical strength of schedule is a little different. So I'm not going to – the whole point of this is to have the best bowl games and the best teams in it. Not playing against one another. So you say that LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, LSU's strength of schedule would be exempt and Ohio State's strength of schedule would be exempt. Clemson's not. Oklahoma's not. No. I don't want LSU or Ohio State – to be exempt, I want them to play a game. Not, not against one another, not against a Clemson or Oklahoma. I think you're missing the point. Would play a, a team because the whole point is if an LSU plays a Memphis or, you know, um, something like Ohio State plays a Memphis, somebody like that, if they were to lose that type of game, their body of work would still probably get them into the playoffs. So you're not diminishing the regular season. You're just taking – a bowl game that would create some level of interest, and it would probably help a a Memphis out more than it would hurt an LSU-Ohio State out. So I think you're missing my point. I don't want somebody to be exempt. I want them to play. And you you wouldn't, for example, LSU and Ohio State didn't need to win their conference championship game to make the playoffs. Would you want to exempt them from their conference championship game? Of course not. I know conference championship games are different than the bowl games, so I think you're missing my point there. So you're you go into a little bit of a convoluted, you know, that that's exactly what we don't want. A lot of ambiguity about this strength of margin and statistical. That stuff is a bunch of hooey. That that is not what I would want. So you know, it would would provide the opportunity for some of the other teams that are on the fringe to prove it. So you could determine 
And this year, I think it's pretty clear that Oklahoma, of the, if you're going to have a fourth team, deserves to be in there. But if you want to have a little bit more of a who's better, Oklahoma or Georgia or this one or that one or Wisconsin, you, you could figure those out in the bowl games. What you're doing, and this is where I think, and I've, tried, I've said this several times, I don't know how else to say it. You're looking at the bowl games as part of the playoffs. They're not part of the playoffs. The bowl games are an extension of the regular season in my way. So you don't want to eliminate a game that you play in the regular season. You want them to earn it, and you want them to play it. And because you played a tougher schedule, so be it. You play maybe an easier opponent in the bowl game. And if you lose that game, you still could get in over your body of work. So in my scenario, the teams that you – exempt no you wouldn't exempt them you'd just probably put them in the the playoffs anyway even if they didn't win the bowl game but maybe a Clemson or an Oklahoma probably needs to win their bowl game to get in probably in this year so no that's kind of why you know with the um it's a it's a different I think maybe you misunderstood or maybe you didn't and you just like this but uh you know, I don't, I don't really, and you, you go into last year's and all that, but, I, but again, that's not, that's not what I want, and I don't want more you know, ambiguity of using this and that and subjectivity. This, no, what I want is it to be decided on, decided on the football field, not to say, well, they played a tougher schedule statistically, so therefore they shouldn't have to play a bowl game. No, it's the purpose of the bowl games. We want to get the best teams to play in bowl games. That would be like, you know, hey, um, what if you had a great matchup at the end of the year? What if we – let me explain it this way. What if you had a great matchup, and we don't do this because you finish the season with conference games. But what if you said, I don't know, you had – Uh, an LSU versus Penn State uh, last game of the regular season, if if you ended the season with a non-conference game, on Ohio State versus an Alabama, would you say, no, 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 don't you're exempt from playing that game? No, you, you'd, you'd say, oh, my God, I can't wait to watch that game. Now, we get those games sometimes – in the early part of the season. That's just how the schedule plays out. That's the whole point. We play those games before the conference schedule. Then you got the conference schedule. What I want is to play one of those type games after the conference champions are determined because then, and we do it in what I call the bowl game, the bowl season, which is an extension of the regular season. Then we pick four. I don't want it exempt. Again, if you're unbeaten and you've played a strong schedule and you lose your bowl game, you know, it may factor in. Maybe you're not the number one or number two seed, but maybe you're the four seed. I just think that's that, that's my point. So I want to recognize the strength of schedule like you do, but I don't want to make it, well, let's eliminate playing the game. I want to play more games. I want to play it. Oh, they play too many games. They play 16 games in Division I AA. 
You tell me they can't play it at this level? Of course they can't. They don't want to. They will eventually because the money's going to say it. But that's what I want is I don't want to eliminate that. So anyway, nothing against the idea. I mean, I appreciate the, the ideas, but uh, and, and certainly not that mine's better or anything. It's just that that's what your suggestion is the opposite of what I want. I don't want to have exempt. I want to play. Some people say a buy, and, you, you well, yeah, you can look at that, and you could have buys. If you went to six teams, two teams would get a buy. Well, yeah, you you would probably put LSU and Ohio State in a buy, and Clemson's strength of schedule would knock them out. If you had a strictly a playoff system, you would do it that way. You'd, you'd give them a buy. What you're wanting to do is to give them a buy by not playing in a bowl game. Well, what I want is I want everybody to play in bowl games just like I want them to finish the season and play in the conference championship games and to do it. Then I want to play the best teams, you know, around the country. Like you play the preseason non-conference schedule. I want to play the postseason non-conference schedule with the bowl games, then pick them. So I want games. I don't want exemptions from them. Josh asks, I want your input on the Charlie Strong struggle that South Florida that led to his demissal. Dismissal. I thought he did a good job at Louisville and thought at the time of his Texas hire it wasn't a good fit. Um, I did, however, think he would bounce back at South Florida. But after Quentin Flowers left, it wasn't the same. Do you think perhaps he's in some form of post-Texas trauma? <laughs> the job is so high-visible and high-pressure packed it needed. Um, I'm not aware of any trauma. I think that if you look at South Florida – not many people have had the type of success. Jim Levitt had success the Big East days. Quentin Flowers made Willie Taggart look good. But Lou Holtz has been a good coach, done a good job. I mean, you know, I think that – I think some people overrate the South Florida job as a really good job. I mean, I think it's it's an okay job. I think people look at South Florida. If they don't it at Central Florida, they should do it at South Florida. Perhaps it is, but – um, to answer your question, Charlie didn't do a great job of recruiting, um, and that's the biggest issue. You know, he did do a good job at Louisville, but again, I think the expectation level was not all that high, and he took over a program that was disorganized, disheveled, and he did a good job with it. At Texas, he probably was in over his head. Um, I, I I can't speak to the you know the traumatic at, at Texas and all that. I, I think the issue is just the job at South Florida is not an easy one. Um, it's a good job. It's not a great one. It is one in which you you uh, obviously didn't do he didn't do a very good job of developing. I whether. He was complacent or, you know, or traumatized. I, I can't answer that. I, I mean, I'm not in his head and I'm not around him every day. But so I, you know, I would just say that they haven't recruited well. Why not? Can't really answer that. Uh, staff hiring. I mean, I, I think there's some issues with the program. They go beyond just the head coach. They probably need fresh blood. They probably need new energy. And that's probably going to serve him well and probably going to serve them well and serve Charlie well. 
um, also uh, in his new stop wherever he decides, or maybe to sit out a little while. Hey, folks, enjoy the games. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll be back next week at some point next week. We're going to figure out the best time again. So be on the lookout sometimes next week when we'll break down um, the, the semifinal games and obviously break down the bowl matchups. We're probably going to gonna wait and see um, and break down after the bowl, after the New Year's Day bowl games. But we'll see. We'll see how it'll play out, maybe give you something early in the week to preview. We're going to look at it uh, both ways, and we'll, we'll absolutely – let you know. But enjoy the game. Should be a lot of fun. And remember to spread the word about the great folks at 401k Generation that sponsor this podcast. Give them a call. Give them a text at 1-866-998-5879. Uh, also, check out LandryFootball.com. 50% discount on the website. Detailed film room breakdowns of all of these games. So check it out today. You won't regret it. Appreciate you joining us. And talk to you again next time. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.